Good evening. Uh, my name is Zaman Cho. I'm one of the pastors here uh, on staff at City Reformed. Uh, we've been going through a sermon series throughout the book of First and Second Peter, and we're almost to the close of, of the whole thing. We're at Second Peter, chapter two here. I'm going to read for us tonight's passage. I'm going to read only the things that are in uh, not in italics because Pastor Joseph preached on verses. 1 through 16 last week, but I, I put them in the bulletin just as some points of reference as we go through the sermon today, but I'm going to read starting from verse 17 where it says, these are waterless springs, and at the conclusion of our reading, if you respond with, thanks be to God. So a scripture reading from 2 Peter 2, verse 17. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For, speaking loud boasts of the folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last thing has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is the word of the Lord. And I said we've been going through Second Peter, and then Pastor Joseph preached through the first uh, half or majority chunk of chapter 2, and he Last week he talked about uh, how we as a society are have itchy ears, that we, we tend to, to listen to things that, that happen all around us, and uh, inevitably in, in, in the sea of all those things are, are false prophets, are, are heresies, are, are, are lies that exist in our world today that we need to be wary of as Christians. And, and this is exactly what Peter is exhorting us to. I wanted to kind of start off by just kind of firing off a couple of statistics that I found, ironically, online about the internet. Uh, of the, the, the most recent census of 7.5 billion people in the world, 4.1 billion people use the internet. So, just over half. Um, the internet influences retail sales to the tune of $2.8 trillion. And $205 billion is used just on advertising. On, on people getting the word out there about their businesses or, or what they're trying to get across. An estimated 1.9 to almost 2 billion people are expected to purchase something online in, in this year, 2019. Over 4 million blog posts are published every day, 500 million tweets are sent every day, and 5 billion Google searches are made every day. An average person spends about 5 hours a week shopping online. Uh, there are 3.7 billion global mobile internet users, that means people who use internet on their very phones, not just on their computers or their laptops, but on their very phones, 3.7 billion people. And the commerce responsible for just mobile sales is about $2 trillion. Um, by the end of this year, it's, it's gonna be said that social media advertising is gonna overtake newspaper advertising. Facebook has 2.27 billion monthly active users. Every month there are over 2 billion people using Facebook and uh, Instagram has 1 billion monthly active users. 
Now, why do I inundate you with, with all of these statistics? It's, it's simply to say that a lot of people are on the internet. And that means a lot of people are hearing messages, are hearing voices, are hearing advertisements, memes, if you will. And th there's a lot of voices of influence that exist today. And because of the way that the internet has been made so available, like we can carry it in our pockets and hold it in the palm of our hands, that actually makes it all the more dangerous for these voices to influence us, for these voices to have some sort of an impact on the way that we think, on what we see, what we watch, how we prioritize our day, what, we're, how we, what our schedules look like, all of these things. This is, is a very unique time because come 10, 20, maybe even five years ago, it wasn't as prevalent as it is today. But Peter's message that we find here in, in 2 Peter 2 still remains the same. He warns us, he exhorts us to be wary of false prophets, whether they come in the form of somebody preaching in the streets, or they come in the form of uh, Instagram posts that you flip through on your phone, maybe every month, every day. And so this is his message that he has for us, is to be wary of the false prophets of, the, of these false messages that are going on. And, and what does he say about them? I'll turn our attention back to verse, starting in verse 17. These are, that is the, the false prophets, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. I'll stop right there. Peter gives an image of who false prophets are and what they look like. They're waterless springs. They are wells where you expect to be of an abundance of water, but at the very bottom of nothing but sand. They're mists driven by a storm. When you see a storm cloud coming and, and a promise of rainfall, maybe after a long drought, it's just swept away by a strong wind. They're messages of hot air with no substance, loud boasts of folly, he says. A lot of the images and words that he uses is actually a reference uh, that we see also in the book of Jude. Reading in verses 12 through 13, it's listed there in your additional scripture. It says, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as a feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. The author of the book of Jude continues this metaphor, hidden reefs that lead ships to crash on the shore. Shepherds who feed themselves, who have no intention, no care for the flock. Fruitless trees in autumn in, in, the, in the thick of the harvest time fruitless, twice dead and uprooted, and wandering stars, misleading wayward travelers. It's a very poignant picture of, of how Peter paints false prophets, heretics, of, of people speaking lies. So we get a picture of what, what kinds of people they are and what kinds of effect that they have. That in the midst of seeking truth, purpose, meaning, something helpful, something effective, for our lives, they bring nothing but despair, sand, more waywardness. 
when I was uh, when I was younger, uh, and, and I didn't really like reading all that much, but uh, when the Harry Potter series came out, I was I was hooked. And I remember when um, I was reading through the sixth book of Harry Potter, the Half-Blood Prince, and I, I got towards the end. I don't want to ruin it for, for any of you that may not have read it, but there's, there's a pretty big and epic battle scene towards the end of the sixth book, if you remember. Um, and so when it came time for, for the movies to come out, I was, I was really excited. I was like, this is one of my favorite battle scenes of the entire book series, so they're, they're really going to do this up. And I'm sitting through there, I forget how long, it was, it was probably over two, two and a half hours long. And we get to the end, and they, they skip over that battle scene all together. And I remember leaving the movie theater, like, seething. And I was, like, searching online, like, why did this happen? Like, how could they do this? And it turns out that the directors wanted to, probably in a scheme, to, to push uh, attention more towards the concluding seven movies. They wanted to skip that battle scene as to not overshadow any of the other battle scenes that happened in, in the sixth book. And, and I was, as I was watching the movie, I was, I was kind of left feeling empty. Just kind of really, really disappointed, and it was like the the anti-climax of anti-climaxes for me. And this is but a small example, but when we have real needs in our lives, when we have desperate searches, when we have something that it is that we're living for, that we're looking for, and we have somebody of influence, we have something that might show promise, a shred of promise where this is how you might attain it. And we get there, and it's not there, or it's not what we expected. We're left feeling with emptiness. Feeling like we've been met with a waterless spring. Feeling like we've been misled. And this is, this is exactly what Peter is warning us against. That if we begin to listen to all the, the competing voices of today, if we don't attune to what the true message of the gospel is, we will be left feeling this way. Empty. And then he continues on in verse 20. This is a warning of, of what will happen to these false prophets and for those who listen to these false prophets. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last thing has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. The dangers of being influenced and listening to false prophecy is that it, for those that have escaped the defilements of the world, for those that have escaped the very nature of these false prophecies, because of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, as Peter says, they again they become entangled again and overcome. So he's borrowing a lot of the language that, that Jesus used in the parable of the sower. The seed sown in the thorns, wrapped up and entangled and choked down. The seed sown in the rocky soil where they have no root to grow fruit. It would have been better for them to not know Christ at all to begin with than to turn on him. And we know that as we listen to that, there's a, there's a, a lot of truth in that. Um, when I was younger, not too long ago, I, I played a lot of guitar, and, and I loved leading worship in, in opportunities that I could. And, and over time, in, in the beginning stages of it, it, it was really painful, like physically painful, because the calluses on my fingers had, hadn't formed yet. But after about a couple of months or so, those calluses began to form 
a little more. And and even today, as I, as I shake people's hand, uh, I, it's a weird quirk about me. I kind of notice how firm they shake my hand, but then also like what their hand feels like. Like if I feel somebody's hand and it's pretty callous, I, I, I immediately begin to make some sort of judgment. Like oh, this person doesn't work out a lot, or this person does a lot of work with his hands. Uh, but also with, with calluses, not just physical ones, maybe emotional ones, metaphorical ones. We know that as, as hurts are made, as, as friction happens, whether in our own lives or whether with other people, those areas of our hearts, those areas of our lives become callous, where that same hurt has, doesn't have the same effect that it does before. For those of us that have been addicted anything. We know that the first time we feel a sense of, a sense of exuberance, we, we feel the adrenaline rushing, and then when we, we, we come to attain that high again, it doesn't happen in the same way, and so we need more and more. And this is exactly what Christ himself is exhorting to during the scripture reading from today from Matthew, is that the unclean spirit was left, but there is this void. And so when that void is left empty, seven more unclean spirits are going to come, and it, the, that place is going to be far worse than it was before. So the more and more that we let false prophecy, the different competing messages of today influence us, we become more and more callous to the things that Peter is exhorting us to. That we become far worse because we knew what the Holy Commandment was. We know who Jesus was and yet we, when we still sin anyway we become far worse than when, than when we were when we first started. And I'll pause here for a little bit uh, as a sidebar to say a lot of Peter's exhortations here is to false prophets. And so I recognize that a lot of you probably don't see yourself as prophets, so to speak. Uh, and, and this passage could actually be more attaining and more related to me as the one who is speaking, the one who is trying to send across a message. And, and I believe that Peter does have an emphasis on, emphasis on those who have this burden and responsibility to preach the word, which I, I feel like is pretty consistent throughout the Bible, that those who have the responsibility to preach the word are going to be held accountable to a higher standard. So, man, we're, we're held to a higher standard. Um, but it's not to say that false prophecies can't affect those that are sitting in the pews as well. I think Peter's message today has a lot to do with us, the everyday person. And so how does this hit all of us, whether in our society today, whether in our churches, whether in our personal lives, what are the heresies, what are the false prophecies that we are inundating day in and day out? Do we adhere to this message of self-image? That beauty is defined by, let's say, how thin you are, or how symmetrical you look, or the perfect angle that you can capture that photo. Do we, do we label the pinnacle of our society's beauty as reserved to those who are our models or celebrities? Or even the question of sexuality. Do we see ourselves as, as the authors of our own sexuality? Do we see, feel like we have complete freedom to do whatever we want and, and to define things in ways that works best for us? Or even something like Christian exclusivity. Is it arrogant to say, is it too narrow-minded to say that nowadays that the only way to, to real truth and salvation is through the Lord, Jesus Christ? Are we surrounded by other people who think that that's arrogance? Or do we think that the gospel is about doing things for God so that he could provide things for us? 
that the goodness of God is based on my definition of goodness or prosperity, what's called the prosperity gospel. Now, these are a lot of big brush strokes that I'm painting here, and, and in between these strokes, I know that there are countless individual, particular, and personal stories that are deeply affected and deeply hurt by the church, specifically the church, because of, of what we believe and, and how that seems to be competing or contradicting or even antagonizing against those who are in other camps. But I want to say is that we, yes, we are called as Christians to love others. And at the same time, we are called to balance that love by upholding truth. So what does that truth look like? So we read back in verse 19, Peter says, They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever comes overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. I'm going to repeat that. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So Peter uses this, this short verse here in the middle of this passage to bring about a pretty profound truth. That is to say that during the course of these false prophets' work, they promise freedom. And the irony is, he says, is that they themselves are enslaved to corruption. For somebody promising freedom, hey, if you believe what I believe, if you just do the things that I say, you will set yourself free. But the irony is that they are themselves slaves to the very things that they are promising. So the reality then is that everyone is enslaved to something. Everyone is enslaved to something. Can anybody really promise true liberty? Peter said that they have been enslaved to the passions of the flesh. I was doing a little bit of uh, history work because I remember hearing a sermon about something like this and I wanted to do a little bit more research on it. And it, when the Emancipation Proclamation was, was given on January 1st of 1863 during the Civil War, there was a lot of study done on, on how that actually affected the lives of, of American slaves after it happened. Uh, the, the proclamation itself was declared on January 1st, on New Year's Day. But the reality was a lot of the slaves, especially in Texas, didn't get the news until June or July. So what happened in those six months that they were supposed to be free? And even for, for those that did hear the news immediately, uh, the common uh, responses and, and the ways that it affected them were some were exuberant and joyful and they left. They, they left their plantations and they were like, okay, I'm free, I'm, I'm going. You, they, they did it, whatever you expected them to do. Others were, were kind of sent into some transitional midway camps to kind of help them get themselves off the ground. Because you can imagine, by, by making this decree, by making this proclamation across the entire country, the government may not have been ready to kind of provide for a lot of these needs that these, these former slaves would have had. And so they, they found themselves in, in these camps. And the, and the third response was, actually, a lot of the safe slaves stayed exactly where they were. They didn't know where to go. They had no other resources. Most likely, a lot of their families were still with them on the very plantations that they were serving. And so what they began to do is they began to make contracts with the plantation owners to say, hey, you have a, a crop coming up, uh, and we know, actually, obviously, we know how to work your fields, and we know, your, we know our way around your plantation, so would you consider hiring us and paying us to do the work? 
So, and you can imagine the response from plantation owners as, as, as people that he used to have service from for free, now he is having to pay. And so there's this interesting dynamic that happens between what's called sharecropping, where, where these former slaves, now freed men, are trying to make their way by actually getting paid for the work that they used to do. And this actually spiraled the South down into more of an economic depression. Uh, and both slaves, former slaves and plantation owners begin to cycle more and more into debt. Why do I share that is that even when something like the Emancipation Proclamation, even when a decree saying that they were free, that liberation had happened for them, when their status was changed, the very lifestyles that they lived, the things that they were used to, the, 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 the norms, the habits that they had engulfed themselves in, maybe not by their choice, became a part of their, their identity. That they no longer knew how to live life outside of their norms. That they may have been declared free, but they still lived a life of slavery, a life that was that did not know anything about abolition. So the reality is that we are all enslaved to something because of the patterns that are ingrained in our hearts, because of the messages that we allow to, to be affect to affect us. And so the reality is that we are all enslaved to something. And Peter gets it right. He says, they promise freedom, but they themselves are enslaved to corruption. So then, where do we turn? And this is where I find the gospel connection in our passage, is that if everybody is enslaved to something, and we are to separate ourselves from false prophecies, then we are to seek to be slaves of righteousness. Christ doesn't promise freedom. Instead, he promises a yoke to himself. He promises slavery to righteousness unto himself. Because we know that under the character of Christ, we will not be oppressed, we will not be misled, we will not be disappointed or left to feeling empty. And so that if we compare all of these descriptions that Peter has for the false prophets in these beginning verses... They are waterless springs. Christ is the eternal wellspring. For those who drink the water that he provides, the living water will never thirst again. John 4. They are, false prophets are mists driven by a storm, promising rain, and are swept away. Christ is the great storm cloud approaching the heat-scorched plains, and he will not be forced away by any wind. And if we go back to our passage in, passage in Jude, they are hidden reefs leading ships to crash. Christ is the lighthouse to wayward ships. False prophets are shepherds feeding themselves. But Jesus Christ is the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. False prophets are fruitless trees in autumn, twice dead and uprooted. Jesus Christ is the true vine that bears abundant fruit. And that those who abide in him will bear such fruit. They are wandering stars, misleading travelers. Christ is the star that shines brighter than all others and leads those who follow it directly to the King of Heaven and Earth. So that he doesn't target those who are wayward, those who are new Christians, those who are in error, as Peter says in this passage. But to those whom he calls to himself since the beginning of time, 
He shows grace when all that was deserved is judgment. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Ephesians chapter 1. Christ prevents us from being led astray by the words and promises that he speaks by showing that he denied of himself. But he had all the privilege in the universe. And he had everything that he was entitled to, but decided to empty himself. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Philippians chapter 2. And so as we hear Peter's words, as we probably feel pretty lowly, pretty down in, in the muds, in terms of how he describes false prophets, we, we, we have to listen to a couple with who the true prophet is. That if we believe in this reality, that we are all enslaved to something, that Peter exhorts us not to be enslaved by the, to the passions of our flesh, but to be enslaved by the one true passion that has loved us first in the person of Jesus. The one who will never lead us astray. And so then as we think about how to apply this to our lives, what does that actually look like? And I just want to present some diagnostic questions to ask ourselves. Number one is, how do we spend our time? How do we spend our time? It sounds very simple, but I believe that the way that we spend our time, the ways that our schedules are formed, shows us how we prioritize things in our lives, the people that we prioritize, the messages that we prioritize. What, do, what does our time look like? Number two is, what are the voices that we listen to today? What are the voices that we listen to today? Who are the ones that we are influenced by? And whose voice do we respect? Do we find ourselves sitting un under the Word? Sitting under the teaching and preaching of God's Word? Are we more influenced by voices on the radio? On, on famous bloggers who have good advice about, about parenting and, and financial budgeting and all these, all these good things. But those who might lead us astray. What are the voices that we're listening to today? And lastly, and pretty bluntly, how do we intentionally create time to be influenced by the true prophet? To be influenced by Jesus himself? It sounds like a very simple question, and it is. Because if we want to distance and separate ourselves from, from all the false messages of this world, the only way to do so is to fill that void with the one true source of, of goodness, of grace, of joy, so that we don't want to be left with this vacuum after we've cleansed out the, the sin and the dirt in our lives. But we want to fill that void again with goodness, with the, with the goodness of his promises, of what we find in the word, of the access that we have to him in prayer, of coming together like this as a church, as a body, as a family, to worship together. How do we spend our time? What are the voices that we're listening to? And how do we intentionally create time to sit under 
this true prophet? And these are questions that I myself ask week in and week out. And the joy of, of being able to do this as, as just the mouthpiece of this true prophet is that we get to do so in community. And we can rub shoulders together. And it's not just a message that I'll preach and, and forget about when I walk down. But we get to live life, rub shoulders, and, and be accountable to one another for it. So I look forward to doing that with you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us to, do, to help us to do that more and lead us more towards Christ. Let me pray.